Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Barry Boys episode 228, Captain Kidd, the pirate of old New York. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. Now, maybe it's the weather, the anticipation of the summer with all the big Hollywood action films about to come out. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to present an action blockbuster ourselves. A tale of skullduggery, betrayal, and buried treasure. This is the story of Captain Kidd, the pirate of old New York. The true story, Greg, we need to emphasize that throughout this Mm -hmm. whole show, because I think that most people, when they hear the title Captain Kidd, the the pirate of old New York, think that we're spinning some kind of fanciful yarn. But indeed, there was a time in New York's history when Lower Manhattan was just bristling, filled with pirates. It was a nest of pirates. (laughs) Pirates in every bar, every saloon. I mean, you could hardly walk down, you know, the cobblestone streets without tripping on somebody's peg leg. Now, Tom, when I was a kid, a, a, kid, a kid, when I was with a kid, two D's. <laughs> I guess I imagined Captain William Kidd, the subject of our story today, to be this classic fictional pirate, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a parrot on his shoulder and an eye patch and maybe even a hook hand. I don't think he had a hook. Well, the story has a hook. <laughs> lots of hooks, I think. L- lots of hooks. But his tale, of course, has been embellished over the years. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, to separate fact from fiction. But one thing is for certain, and that's that Scottish-born William Kidd's story is a fantastical and fun one. And it's part of a larger pirate-themed chapter in the city's history that's weirdly overlooked today. This is a story of New York in the British era, when it was just a port city of about 5,000 people, where the leaders of the colony were just as crooked and untrustworthy, if not more so, than the pirates they often pretended to criminalize. And at the end of the show, we will reveal the possible location of Captain Kidd's buried treasure, one that is possibly located within the border of the five boroughs. So join us as we hunt down the history of Captain Kidd, the pirate of old New York.
So, Tom, what's our opening salvo here on the show? How are we opening this treasure chest of information on New York Pirates? Well, I think for, for this blockbuster, the opening scene is New York in the 1690s. Okay, it's an establishing shot of lower <laughs> today's lower Manhattan. It's a, it's a time when the colony of New York is still mighty small. Like you said, only about five to 6,000 inhabitants lived here. Now, at this point in the 1690s, it's only been British for a few decades, because remember, the the handover from the Dutch took place in 1664. So these British colonies are now governed by British governors who have been appointed from afar by the royal crown. And the Crown is testing out various ways of exerting power over their colonies and, you know, in, in doing so, raising funds for the Crown and also, by this point in the 1690s, to fund their war against France. So how are they raising money? Well, they, they passed a number of acts, right? Navigation acts, they called them, including one in 1696 in the middle of our story here that would limit the ability of New Yorkers to trade with other nations than, than Great Britain or even buy goods from other nations. So in fact, at this period here in the 1690s, New Yorkers couldn't manufacture goods that competed with the homeland and the goods that they bought had to be brought over on ships that were staffed by sailors who were majority British. There were even strict limits on the crops that farmers here could sell here because they didn't want to harm the business of British farmers. And I guess the evolution of these kinds of acts would, of course, inspire the colonists later to revolt against the British crown in later decades. Right, about 50 or 60 years later. But it seems to me that these laws would actually limit New York's abilities to develop into a larger port town. Well, you would think so, right? I mean, it certainly didn't help matters. But New York's merchants always had a way of getting creative with traders, you know? Bending corners a little bit. (laughs) Right. Well, one of the ways was to trade on the black market, smuggling in items and selling them. And another way uh, was to do business directly with pirates, Now, pirates are a pretty lawless lot here. So how exactly do you do business with a pirate? Right. They don't seem like ideal trading partners, right? But you do business with them by buying their loot, by buying their bounty, you know, that they've basically stolen from other ships. Piracy at this time was a big business. And New Yorkers loved buying things, right, that were coming off of Mm -hmm. ships. Ships coming into New York were bringing fantastic goods. They were bringing clothing and materials and food and exotic spices and jewelry and textiles, you know, all kinds of things from all parts of the globe. Certain trade routes, however, especially off in far-flung places from a Western point of view, were through waters that were more susceptible to attackers. Attackers being pirates who would ruthlessly overtake a ship and then threaten to kill everyone on board unless they released their goods and their money. And then having stolen all these goods, you know, what was a pirate supposed to do with it? Well, they would sail for some eager and frustrated market town like New York. But there had to be certain laws. You couldn't just trade with a pirate, any old person who just pulls into town. True. Nobody was going to like strike a deal with somebody who presented themselves as a pirate. Yeah, someone who had possibly stolen this merchandise from another ship. No, you couldn't really buy officially speaking, hot goods. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the pirates presented themselves not as pirates, but as privateers. 
So the difference between a privateer and a pirate is rather slight, isn't it? Well, a privateer has been officially sanctioned by a country, right? So a king or, or an official to attack enemy ships. They literally could get a signed document called a letter of mark uh, that, that stated that they were permitted to locate and attack enemy and, you know, enemies could include pirate ships as a way of helping out during times of war or in terms of helping out, you know, clean up trade routes and, and help patrol these, these important trade routes. And as payment for their services, they'd have to repay the government, you know, with a hefty percentage of their, of their bounty. But still, that would leave them, the privateer, with, you know, a pretty nice cargo. And then they could go off and trade with merchants in port cities like New York. So it's legalized pirating. You're essentially pirating the other team. If you were to attack your own ships and mm-hmm. steal from your own ships, that, of course, would be wrong. But to do it against another country's ships was acceptable. Well, if you were at war with that other country, and that's mm-hmm. a very important part, you couldn't just attack any country's ships. You wouldn't want to attack the ships of allies to your country. Well, I guess those are sort of rules of the seas, mm-hmm. I guess. But, but didn't the lines get blurred here for obvious reasons? Well, yeah. The problem here is that privateers had a funny way of morphing into pirates themselves, right? In many cases, they'd end up attacking enemy ships and pirate ships, but also had a funny way of attacking friendly ships. Um, And this is because they also carried all kinds of forged documents. You know, it was sort of, you know, they'd head for the trade route to India and then pretend to be French or English, depending on the ship who they encountered, to try to lure them in as a friendly ship and then just rob them willy-nilly and head back to New York to sell off their loot to New York merchants, showing them upon arrival that, oh, well, that was a French ship. See, we, we captured this French pass from this other ship. But meanwhile, sometimes the ship that they attacked was a British ship or a friendly ship of one of Great Britain's allies. Well, it's not like we have GPS or anything where you can, like, identify friendly vessels. You just GPPS, Pirate Positioning (laughs) System. Right. So there was a lot of ambiguity about, like, how exactly these privateers were coming into the bounty that they were presenting to the New York merchants all of which made the colony of New York a safe and profitable haven for pirates. A vibrant place for crime. According to the author Edward Robb Ellis in his Epic of New York City, quote, For more than a decade, the city streets swarmed with swashbuckling pirates clad in blue coats trimmed with pearl buttons and gold lace, white knee breeches with jeweled daggers flashing from their belts. They swilled liquor in taverns, spun lurid adventure stories, and tipped everyone from the potboy to the governor. So pirates were actually flush with cash here, right, from all of their different trades and plunders. Right, because meanwhile, you know, the the pirates had set up their own pirate colony on the island of St. Marie, which is just off the northeast coast of Madagascar. This was a, a really popular base for pirates because it was along the trade route to India, and it was near the Red Sea. So there were a lot of ships going by carrying a lot of goods. Um, and the pirates had this sort of lawless 
colony to themselves. So they had all these goods off in pirate land, right? But countries weren't willing to do business with them because they were outlaws and they attacked Mm -hmm. their ships. But some stealthy New York merchants did do trade directly with them and got very high prices for the goods that they would trade with the pirates, especially wine and, and rum and other alcohols. So pirates were thirsty. <laughs> and, and New York merchants um, were price gouging pirates. And one pirate in particular, the subject of our show, William Kidd. Although he did not start out as a pirate. No, but he did start out a kid. Kidd was probably born in 1645 in Scotland. Perhaps his father was a Presbyterian minister, um, but he grew up wanting to be a privateer and, and hunt down pirates. Well, what an adventurous career. I'm sure many little kids mm-hmm. wanted to grow up to have a career on the seas. Yeah, a very romantic notion. You know, he either wanted to be a privateer or a British naval officer. And so as a young man, he headed off to the sea and became an accomplished sailor and a captain. Uh, he served as a privateer for the English government and even won accolades at one point for capturing a ship for the crown. By the time he moved to New York in 1691, he was a respectable seafarer. He worked as a merchant captain, sailing along the trade route between the West Indies and North America. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. Kidd arrives in New York at a very traumatic time in the city, 1691. But just a few years earlier, in 1688, came a torrent of change. For the city was a port city and very independent, but in truth, it was also quite influenced by the affairs of England and beholden to the political winds from across the Atlantic. So in 1688, the Catholic English King of England, King James, Mm -hmm. was deposed in what became known as the Glorious Revolution, and he was replaced by the Protestant rulers William and Mary. So they were installed as the new leaders, and there was a new English Bill of Rights in 1689. So massive changes to England. So for our story, it's King William... King William, yes. In charge Mm -hmm. in London, and Queen Mary. Yes. Now, as you mentioned, England's already at war with France. When weren't they (laughs) at war with France? And the poorly fortified town of New York would be no match 
Say, for instance, if an armada would come down from the nearby French territory of Quebec. Right, because they weren't just fighting over in Europe. That battlefield could also extend over to North America. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, and often did. Well, the town leaders here decided to enforce some import duties to fund the militia and to improve old Fort Amsterdam, which by now had been called Fort James, named for the king who had literally just been thrown out. But there were a great many merchants who happened to be anti-Catholic pro-William and Mary and were naturally against paying more. The leader of these merchants was named Jacob Liesler, who was a German merchant who had lived in the colony since the old Dutch days. He led an uprising in New York with others who were in support of William and Mary. He and other men threw out all these supporters of King James and essentially formed a new government for a few years. So wait, so Liesler has formed a new government in New York that is pro-crown, pro-King William and Queen Mary. Right. Okay, well, this is very interesting, but... um. How does this relate to our story here? So flash forward to May of 1691. Oh, the year that Kit arrives in New York. Yes. New York is a total mess and divided into these two factions. Leesler is situated in old Fort James, which is now called... Fort William. William. Right. What a confusing mess. <laughs> yeah, so you, you can imagine how confused Kid was when he arrived in New York Harbor on his boat, the Antigua. It was the largest vessel in the harbor. Kid, of course, wanted to make good with New Yorkers. He came here to, you know, to maybe settle down and become more of a respectable gentleman, maybe make some contacts, get on the good side of people with money. The anti-Leesler merchants, the ones against Jacob Leesler, approached Kidd and asked him to assist in overthrowing Leesler. So the merchants approached him? Yeah, well, prominent merchants from big families who have a lot invested in New York. Names such as Nicholas Bayard, Stephen Delancey are a few names you might know. For weeks, Captain Kidd's ship clung to the shore of Lower Manhattan with cannons aimed at Fort William, aimed at Leisler and his men, and provided cover for the new governor who then came in. His name was Henry Slaughter, and his men eventually took the fort and arrested Leisler. Now, today we call this the Leisler Rebellion, and a lot of people don't realize that Captain Kidd had a pivotal role in that historic event. Wow, I had no idea that Kid was such a big part of the victory and of Leesler's rebellion. And the best part is he never fired his cannon. It was all for show. Well, he steps in to take some of this goodwill and he ingratiates himself into New York society. All of these wealthy men have now befriended him. You know, he's a, a, a vigorous, robust man in his mid-30s, a man of the sea. Wow, you're, you're making him sound like a real catch, a mariner's catch. <laughs> catch of the day. Well, uh, and yeah. he's single this whole time? Well, There's no Mrs. Kid. Well, within weeks, he actually finds a bride in New York and not just any lady, but the wealthiest woman in New York. The wealthiest woman in New York? Yes. Her name was Sarah Bradley Cox Ort. Wow, that's a name that just keeps on going. (laughs) Sarah Bradley Cox Ort. It's almost like she's been married before. Well, she was married twice. Amazingly, she's 21 years old and has been widowed twice. 
both husbands die in mysterious manners. The first one fell into the mud, drowned off the coast of Staten Island. In mud? A boggy, muddy stew. He lost... Good t- great. Yeah, a very... I mean, these are harsh times in New York what City What happened history. to the other one? We're not exactly sure, but some historians suggest that Kid himself may have murdered his, her second husband, for they got married weeks after his death. So Sarah was a very wealthy 21-year-old woman and perhaps looked at Kid as a way to secure her position in society as well. Right, because he's he's now the big man about town. Yeah. Well, they got married on May 16th, 1691, on the exact day that Jacob Leisler and his cohort and son-in-law, Jacob Milborn, were put to death in the area of the city commons. That's the spot of today's City Hall Park. It was on the spot that Leisler and Milborn were hanged, then beheaded. One report states that Leisler's heart was cut out and given to Nicholas Bayard's wife, who held it aloft and shouted, Here is the heart of a traitor. This is how Sarah and William spent their wedding day. In observation of this terrible crime, which stained the cobblestones of old New York. Okay, well, that paints a pretty gruesome picture. So then Sarah and William Kidd, a captain, set up a residence here in New York? Yeah, and not just any house, a gorgeous three-story home at 119 Pearl Street. Uh, That is around the area of Hanover Square in Lower Manhattan today on the northern section of that park at the intersection at Pearl Street. Okay, right by the port. Right by the port. Yeah, I mean, in fact, this was waterfront property back then. Pearl Street was actually the River Road. And just a block up from the old wall, the actual wall of Wall Street, which had been built there as a fortification, it was still standing at this time. One of two entrances through the wall was actually a block away from his house. Wow, that offered the captain then a pretty commanding view. He could see ships coming and going from the port and people coming and going from the wall. But even more so, Kid would often take a spyglass from his upper floors of his house and look out over the harbor, have an unobstructed view all the way to the Narrows in case, say, there was something he wanted to keep his eye on. Now, this house, by the way... Was wow, things just got <laughs> a little bit more piratey, Greg. <laughs> well, there was plenty of treasure in the house, of course. He had a, a sumptuous wine cellar, the largest Turkish carpet in the city, and an envious collection of silverware. He had these things because he himself had bought them or because he had married such a fabulously wealthy widow? It was mostly her money, okay. um, but due to the marriage laws of the day, he, he became head of the household. Now, it seemed that Kidd was on the course to become another prominent New York name, joining the Bayards, Delanceys, the Brevorts. But Kidd would soon grow restless, wanting to seek another new adventure. Now, by this time, New York had another colonial governor. Slaughter was dead by this time and replaced by a man named Benjamin Fletcher. Fletcher had a very very relaxed policy towards piracy, often failing to prosecute anyone who was accused of piracy. Because it would be up to him to enforce the crown's rules against trading with pirates. Yes. So once again, New York is a hotbed of pirate activity. And now you have Kid wanting to go back out onto the seas. 
He would be pulled back into the fray. Little did he know, however, that this would lead to an ultimate betrayal. We'll get to those choppy waters after this. And now, back to the high seas. So we have William Kidd with his wife, Sarah, on Pearl Street, living the life of a respectable gentleman. It is 1695, and he's feeling a wanderlust, a little antsy, perhaps to get back out on the high seas. That's right. Um, He is dreaming about doing more than just being a merchant captain. He's dreaming of joining, perhaps, the Royal Navy and heading off to great adventure. So that's Kid. But then meanwhile, in other parts of the world, pull, pull out mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and zoom in on London where King William is getting very frustrated because his trade partners are getting really upset uh, that their ships are getting attacked, to, going to and from India through the Indian Ocean, past Madagascar where there's this pirate colony, and his navy is busy fighting France. Okay, so, so he's frustrated. And he's also kind frustrated with his little colony here, New York, which is sending him not a lot of money. He's not yeah. he's not capturing a lot of money from those various navigation acts. And meanwhile, the town is becoming more splendiferous by the day, <laughs> with, right? Right. And with a lot more pirates roaming the streets, too. Right. So something is clearly going on. So the king hatches a sort of cleanup plan. He's, he's devising a way to replace the governor, this Fletcher who doesn't seem to be effectively tackling the pirate problem. No, no not at all. And at the same time, he's thinking that he will send off a privateer, an independent vessel, uh, working on behalf of the crown down to the Indian Ocean to help patrol uh, against pirates and capture pirates. And while they're at it, they could also attack French ships because he was at war with France. A private security force if you will, for the seas. A privateer security force. Right. Now, as luck would have it, at the very same time in 1695, William Kidd was visiting London um, with a friend of his, another prominent New Yorker named Robert Livingston, the elder. This is the first of the Livingstons in New York. He was born in Scotland but died in New York. Well, Kidd was in, in London because he was looking for ways to get involved in the Royal Navy. And Livingston, his friend, heard about the king's plan to send ships down to the Indian Ocean, and he convinced a man named Richard Coote, the Earl of Bellamont, the man who the king would send over to replace Fletcher. Back in London, Livingston convinces the Earl of Bellamont to assign his friend, Captain William Kidd, to do this job in the Indian Ocean. This very special, somewhat unofficial duty as the Crown's personal privateer. Right. All of this set up because of connections. Even then, in 17th (laughs) 17th century New York, it was all about connections. So in 1695, Captain Kidd actually signed an agreement with the king? I happen to have a copy of the Royal Proclamation in my hand, Greg. Would you like to hear it? Is that what that stained parchment is? (laughs) I like to just carry it around with me, you know, (laughs) hoping people will ask. But finally, I get to read it aloud. Here's just a snippet. Okay. 
William III, by the grace of God, King of England, Scotland, France, which he was claiming, and Ireland, defender of the faith, etc. To our trusty and well-beloved Captain William Kidd, commander of the ship, the Adventure Galley, greeting. Whereas we are informed that Captain Thomas II, John Ireland, Captain Thomas Wake, and Captain William Mace, and other subjects, natives or inhabitants of New York and elsewhere in our plantations in America, have associated themselves with diverse others, wicked and ill-disposed persons, and do against the law of nations commit many and great piracies, robberies, and depredations on the seas, upon the parts of America, and in other parts, to the grand hindrance and discouragement of trade and navigation, and to the great danger and hurt of our loving subjects, our allies, and all others navigating the seas upon on their lawful occupations. Well, that really spells it out, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it goes on. That's just the introduction. <laughs> oh, okay. But I'll spare you the rest of it. See, down here further, he says, and we do require you to bring such pirates, freebooters, and sea rovers as you shall seize to a legal trial. Freebooters? And sea rovers, yes. Wow. He was issued this license here to go down and search for these sea pirates and to bring them back along with their booty. But he does add something here at the end, which is very important. He says, And we do hereby strictly charge and command you, as you will answer the contrary at your peril, that you do not in any manner offend or molest our friends or allies, their ships or subjects, given at our court of Kensington the 26th day of January, 1696. So that's an important ending there. So essentially, crack down on crime on these trading routes, unless they're a member of our squad. Yes, Taylor Swift, our <laughs> friendly nations. Greg is always good with a little Swift humor. Yes. <laughs> but yes, all kidding aside, Captain Kidd was granted license here to attack pirates or French ships because they were the enemy. He was not allowed, explicitly not allowed, to attack any trading partners or allies. And, and part of the deal was that the king would get a clean 10% of the value of all the goods that Captain Kidd took in. The remaining 90% would be split by his friend Livingston, the Earl of Bellamont, and Captain Kidd. Who's paying for all of this? Well, they then brought in investors, a group of rich and powerful financiers who remained anonymous, would cough up the money to pay for about 80% of the trip, um, and Livingston and Kidd paid for the remaining part. Of course, though, the problem here uh, for Kidd was that these investors expected that they would be rewarded with their fair share of any of the revenues that came in. So this wasn't just a crackdown on criminal behavior. It was to make them some money. Right. Rich and powerful men in London were ultimately hoping to make a lot of money off of captured pirate booty. I mean, they were condoning a certain form of piracy, a piracy under a different name. Well, as we mentioned in the proclamation, his ship was the Adventure Galley. It was a 36-gun, 275-ton ship. And in May of 1696, Kidd set sail from Plymouth to New York with 80 men aboard. 80 men aboard, and he went to New York. 
but he he had to find some more men. Um, he needed more than just 80 to effectively fight. And he knew that the best people to fight pirates were pirates themselves. You know, these guys knew how it worked out in the open seas. And he, they, they knew where the pirates were hanging out. They knew the ways of the pirates. So he headed off to New York to find some good pirates and sweeten the deal once he got there, too. He actually offered the men who would join his expedition a share of the booty. He didn't just pay them. He offered them a cut of the profits. And he cut back his own percentage and the percentage of his backers back to just 40 shares. This works. Hmm. He, he actually attracted a lot of, you know, seasoned pirates, a, a lot of top pirate talent, um, and <laughs> suddenly had a crew of 155 men. Top tier pirate talent here, but he cut back that share of his investors, right? So, so they were actually getting less, but I don't think he told them, right? Right, yeah. They were not aware of his renegotiation of their terms. Um, so when word got back to London, they were obviously furious. And Bellamont, in fact, who had negotiated the deal on behalf of the king, felt like he had been double-crossed. And he, so he was already back in London planning to take action against Captain Kidd. Sounds like Kidd was on his way out, and the journey had really just begun. Right, he had hardly even left New York. Um, but he was in New York in 1696 uh, through, you know, for several months as he was hiring and recruiting and spending time with his wife, dressed to the nines like a Royal Navy officer and walking about town. I even heard a kind of famous rumor that he attended Trinity Church. Right, I had heard that too. Uh, but when we looked into this, according to Trinity, he was on the pew list in 1696 when he was back home. And he did lend equipment to the church for the raising of stones during the first church's construction. But he could not have ever attended Trinity Church because he left town on his big adventure in 1696, which was two years before the church even had its first service. But in any case... In September of 1696, Kidd and his men had a grand send-off at Wall Street on the, on the East River, with public officials waving them off on his mission to bring an end to the era of the pirates. And from here, they sailed, ready to find some pirates, off to Madeira uh, and Cape Verde, off the western coast of Africa, where they stocked up on supplies and food and wine in Madeira. And then they sailed directly from Madagascar into the thick of pirate action. And he arrived there in Madagascar in February of 1697. So he's about halfway through his year-long voyage. How is pirate hunting going? Well, that's kind of the funny part of the story. Captain Kidd and his men had a really hard time finding pirate ships or even French ships, you know, because they got to Madagascar looked around and realized that there were no pirates around. You know, the, the pirates had all left town. They were all in, off in the Indian Ocean doing their pirating. <laughs> and this is a vast body of water. And it wasn't exactly easy to just, you know, locate them, even no. with his little spyglass. So he spent months hanging around the island. Then he headed off to Malabar, which is in the southern tip of India, then, you know, didn't find anything over there. He hit up the islands in between in the Indian Ocean. And, and all the while, his men are, are becoming increasingly restless because they're not catching any pirates. The pirate supplies dried up. 
Right, their supplies are getting dried up and exhausted, and, and they haven't taken in any actual pirate booty. He sailed north to the opening of the Red Sea. There's a little island there called Param, just off of Yemen today, right in the Strait of Mandeb. It's the opening to the Red Sea. It's a great place to be a pirate because you have ships, trade ships passing by to get into the Red Sea. You have pilgrim ships carrying Muslims heading up to Mecca, and they're carrying all kinds of gifts to and fro. It's a great place to be a pirate. But there were no pirates around. And it seems that it's around this time, about a year after he had taken off, where he starts changing. His strong personality seems to go over to the dark side. He started acting badly, and it was, it was noticed. He, he attacked a Muslim merchant ship off the coast of Malabar, and he tortured an Englishman and a Portuguese sailor who was on board. And that's especially bad because he was English, and he was specifically supposed to protect the interests of the English. Right, not attack them. And he did have some success, in quotes, capturing some goods. Unfortunately, in one case, it turned out to be a Dutch ship, um, which was, again, against the law because, because Holland was a trading partner with Great Britain. It was an ally. And he attacked them, of course, he said, because he thought that they were French. Again here, he's attacking an ally. To make matters even worse, in the midst of all of this, his men were getting increasingly frustrated. He got into a fight over some incident with one of his men named Gunner Moore and threw a bucket at him. He threw a bucket and actually killed him. With a bucket? Yeah. An unconventional pirate accoutrement here, a bucket. So now we have Captain Kidd attacking allies, taking their goods, killing his own men, right? Things are not looking good for him, and they only got worse because he ended up plundering and pillaging more. He he came upon another ship called the Kida Merchant, which was again chartered by an Englishman. But Kidd posed as a French captain and attacked it and sold off its cargo along the Indian coast and kept the ship. And that was on January 30th of 1698. This ship had been commissioned by a a group of Armenian merchants, but was owned by a man named Muklis Khan, who was a high-powered individual in the Mughal Empire and was an ally to the British. Which is somebody you don't want to attack. No. There were plenty of reasons for all those along the trading routes to assume that Kidd was now properly acting like a pirate. He, and he even sailed that ship, the Kita Merchant, back to Madagascar, where he hung out with pirates. You know, yeah. and talked about, like, their, the old days together. He was associating himself with those that he was supposed to be against. Right. He had a charter to actually arrest those people he was hanging out yeah. with. So Kid has clearly gone over to the dark yeah. side. Now, by this time... His old friend Bellamont, the Earl of Bellamont, Richard Coote, right. had officially replaced Fletcher as the governor of the province of New York, and in 1699 was even also the governor of the province of Massachusetts. Bellamont was now aggressively clamping down on all piracy, and he was worried. Because if this privateer scheme that he had originally cooked up with Captain Kidd, had it been revealed that Bellamont was in fact part of it. He might have been ejected and who knows, possibly even executed. 
He was also working in the interest of these British financiers, these anonymous ones who wished not to be exposed in this situation. The only thing to do, really, was to blame the whole affair on Captain Kidd. Act like he was a complete and total renegade, which he was, but essentially they threw him under the bus. Mm. Or under the hull. But Kidd could defend himself, right? I mean, he, he could say that he was only attacking ships that were flying the French flag and that he, he had some proof. The only way to defend himself is to really do it in person. So he needed to get back to the colonies. Now, I won't get into all the details, but essentially he comes back to America on neither the Adventure Galley, which had been destroyed, or the Kita Merchant, which was too incriminating. So he came on another kind of unmarked ship. He came up through the Long Island Sound, and by that point, many of his men had even deserted him at this point. Well, he came up through the Long Island Sound and docked at Oyster Bay, which is on the North Shore. He wanted to go into New York, but he had already heard that he was a wanted criminal. So he sent for his lawyer... And also sent a note to his wife just to let her know that he was fine. Kid thought that, you know, if he could just talk to his old friend Bellamont, he could just straighten this whole thing out. Well, the lawyer came to Oyster Bay and said that Bellamont had actually just left for Boston. And so that's where Kid needed to go. He then sent the lawyer to Boston to kind of like preempt Kid's arrival and perhaps receive a pardon and kind of set the stage for the pardon that he assumed that he was going to get. So did Captain Kidd head up to Boston? He does go to Boston, but he makes a pit stop. For you know, his boat is filled with all of this valuable cargo right. that he has accumulated over this voyage. It might be useful for him to use a little bit of that as leverage. And so in order to do it, he needs to hide it. So the easternmost point of Long Island, there's a little place called Gardener's Island. Oh, yeah. And it was here that he buried his treasure. Quote, 60 pounds weight of gold and 100 weight of silver and 17 bales of East India goods to the value of 30,000 pounds, which, by the way, today is a little short of about 1 million pounds. Wow. Captain Kidd's buried treasure on Gardner's Island. Gardner's Island. One, that's a confirmed treasure. By the way, he then goes very briefly. He stops at Block Island in Rhode Island. It's there that his wife actually joins him on board, and then they head into Boston, where Bellamont was awaiting him. A kid even came bearing lavish gifts for Lord and the Lady Bellamont. He brought a gift of a green silk bag filled with gold. But instead wow, of- that is like the most piratey <laughs> gift I've ever heard of. But instead of offering a pardon, Bellamont had his old collaborator arrested on July 6th of 1699. Kid was thrown into the old Boston Gal, which is the famous old prison in Boston, which had seen, you know, those who had been accused of witchcraft and later those who were involved in the Boston Massacre would also be held here. So was he brought to trial in Boston? No, he remained in prison there for several months and then was sent to England. His trial was in 1701. Kid was accused of murder for throwing the bucket and killing the guy Mm -hmm. on top of five counts of piracy. 
At this time, he was one of the most well-known pirates of the sea, even though we know that that is whether he was or wasn't is, is up for some debate. But he needed to be used as an object lesson because the British Empire would never, was no longer going to tolerate piracy. On May 23rd, 1701, Captain William Kidd was hung at execution dock on the River Thames. During the execution, the rope broke, and he had to be hung a second time until he was dead. His body was then gibbeted, gibbeted, hung on a pole, displayed, serving as a gruesome example to anyone who sought to pursue a life of piracy, and he hung there for three years. How gruesome. Gibbet it. That's, that's, that seems so medieval. Well, it seems medieval. It seems like something that, well, they only do that in Europe, right? Well, Tom, here in New York City, there was an island called Gibbet Island, named because in the 1760s, so even many decades after this story, in the 1760s, so many pirates and other criminals were executed here. That it received this name, wow. Gibbets Island. In the 1760s. In the so, 1760s, So yeah. piracy is still a problem by the 1760s. It's being cracked down on very severely and would mostly be wiped away by the 1720s and 30s. The, in particular, there was a very savagely made example of the British capturing and executing Edward Teach a.k.a. Blackbeard the Pirate Mm -hmm. in 1718. But there were still pirates, and this is how criminal behavior was handled during this period. But Gibbets Island, I've never heard of Gibbets Island. What is it today? Well, shortly thereafter, the island was purchased by a man named Samuel Ellis. Uh Uh-huh. Of course, that would be Ellis Island. Wow. Well, whatever happened to the buried treasure off on... Gardner's Island. Was there a mad rush off to the island to to dig it up? Perhaps it was hidden under some sort of hedge maze, you know, some (laughs) sort of labyrinth, well-manicured labyrinth. Well, this is P-Town for pirates, not (laughs) S-Town. And the, he had no maze or no, in fact, not even an X that marked the spot. The Gardner's Island treasure was quickly found uh, shortly after Kidd's death. And even to this day, very recently, there have been small finds in Madagascar that have been associated with Captain Kidd. But, Tom, if you think that legends are just as valuable as gold... Oh, I do. (laughs) Well, there are treasures to be found all over the New York City area. Many locations in Long Island, New Jersey, and throughout New York Harbor have been listed as possible locations for Captain Kidd's treasure. You know, there was a reason that he might have wanted to live so close to the shoreline back when he had his home over on Pearl Street... For over two centuries, New Yorkers have been investigating every possible lead to uncover new hiding places for possible treasure. Are you saying that for hundreds of years, people have been looking for other kid treasures, not just the one in Gardner's Island? There are potential treasures all over the place. In 1872, just one example that I found was a front page discovery of a possible kid treasure um, located in the Arthur Kill, which is the area of water between Staten Island and New Jersey. Quoting from the newspaper, it is probable that there is a vast amount of treasure lying hid in the bosom of this sheet of water known as the Staten Island Sound, which has not yet been touched by the tongs of the oystermen, unquote. 
Mostly, though, Captain Kidd's treasure is an enduring symbol of mystery and intrigue. And finally, Tom, in 1926, the residents of the borough of Brooklyn awoke to a startling sight. Captain Kidd had returned to New York Harbor. Surely he had been dead for hundreds of years. <laughs> in fact, he would keep returning in 1927 and 1928. He was part of an annual newspaper contest held by the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. So with with keys that were hidden throughout the city that would unlock treasure chests. So Captain Kidd would make various appearances mm-hmm. uh, throughout New York, various neighborhoods, and he would give people keys. Of course, those chests were found at the annual Brooklyn Auto Show, which you had to attend in order to find your treasure, which was held at the 23rd Regiment Armory in Crown Heights. In addition, the newspapers would run coded messages, which would give hints to where the keys were going to be distributed. Coded messages, clues in the newspaper. This is so exciting in a <laughs> Nancy know. Drew mm-hmm. kind of way. What what were these wondrous treasures? Well, you know, it, it wasn't booty from the East Indian Ocean. It was not gold and silver. But if you did have a lucky key, a lucky skeleton key... You could open a treasure chest and you could have won a trip to Bermuda. You could, one prize was an empty lot valued oh. at $1,000. <laughs> there were cash prizes of $100. And finally, of course, you can probably guess, this is the Brooklyn Auto Show, that the grand prize was a new car. <laughs> Wow, Greg, you've really just taken this story from, like, Robinson Crusoe to Let's Make a Deal. Our story has gone from The Pirate is Wrong to The Price is Right. (laughs) Check us out on our blog, BarryBoysHistory.com, for some images, uh, mostly illustrations. You won't have any photos? (laughs) No no photos. Well, maybe from 1926. I'll see what they have. Oh, yeah. So check us out on our blog, BarryBoysHistory.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And a special big thanks to our nearly 600 patrons. Last time I checked, it was $5.99, Greg, um, who are supporting us with small monthly donations so that we can go on these wild adventures on the high seas around the world. Treasure hunts. Treasure hunts of history. Uh, It's because of you and your support that Greg and I are able to devote so much time to producing a new show every two weeks. Thank you so much. And for those who have joined, be sure to subscribe to the patron-only feed of the Bowery Boys so that you can hear the extra special podcasts that we put out in between our shows. That's patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. And finally, please check out the first stories of inventions and their consequences. The Barry Boys spinoff podcast, please go and subscribe to it so you don't miss an episode. This week's episode, Tom, Mm -hmm. I have in my possession and will be basing a whole story around the oldest recording of a song. The oldest song ever recorded in human history. The date is 1860. And you have a copy of it? I have a copy of it. Wow. (laughs) Subscribe to the first podcast to hear more. So thank you so much for listening to our adventures of Captain Kidd. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.